Welcome everyone to the Joelle Martin Mastery Podcast. I'm a networking expert and the author of the upcoming book, No, No Strangers, How to Build Community, One Relationship at a Time. My why is the pursuit of mastery, and the goal of this podcast is to lock arms on a lifelong mission of daily personal growth to become the best version of ourselves. So let's dive in to today's episode. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of the podcast. We are joined by special guests. We have the Canadian rock duo, The Standstills. So welcome to the podcast, Johnny Fox and Renee Couture. How are you guys? And what's life like in Oshawa on this glorious Saturday afternoon? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's raining. (laughs) Yes. But uh, it's nice to actually see rain instead of snow. So spring is in the air. Yeah. the snow, great. yeah, the snow will be gone very soon. It's pretty <laughs> awesome. And unless you love snow, I, you know, I, I, when it comes to winters, I like snowboarding. I like hockey and that's about it. So I don't know if you guys are yeah. different and you love the snow and you love the cold. There's benefits to winter for sure. Um, I played hockey most of my life. <laughs> it's amazing. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's, I think it's just part of being Canadian, you know, but uh yeah, I love, love the cold, but looking forward to the summer. <laughs> what uh, what position did you play? Were you the enforcer? Was the penalty box your best friend? Uh, I was center and right wing. But okay. uh, but yeah, I, I well, I was I was kind of a, the playmaker enforcer, <laughs> which was so, which so was, the enforcer with a little bit of skill, essentially. Yeah, like I, I can score goals, <laughs> but and like make plays and pass and stuff and and uh, I, like, uh, uh, but you know it's I, <laughs> I haven't played hockey for a little while, but uh, um, I think I, maybe I was more like a uh, Mario Mario Lemieux. Okay. That's a, that's a, Hey, if you could strive to be a, a hockey player, that's a good one. What? Let's mm. see. Let's see your your mug there. For everyone to see. Here it is. Screw this. I'm going back to bed. So uh, yeah. we, we talked before we recorded that you're more of a night person. Mm-hmm. What is it about the nights that you like? I, I know as a musician, normally, you know, you're up late because you're on tour, you're performing. But for you, just naturally, it's it's the nighttime feels better. It's peaceful. You know, when uh, when it's late at night and it's just very calm and still and quiet and i i don't know i just uh, i enjoy that i enjoy stargazing you know like if the if the night sky is out i think it's a beautiful thing to see but you know it's just uh teach their own i guess Absolutely. So I'd like to share with our with our listeners how we ended up here today. So uh, back on on episode number 32 of the podcast, I had Chuck Daly from My Mother Earth. And mm-hmm. when when we were doing the episode, he mentioned that he was playing bass on your new album and he introduced me to the band. I went and checked out everything and he said, you got to get these guys on. But there's a caveat. If you're interviewing them, you need both of them because they have good chemistry together. It's not the same if there's only one. And he also said when he thinks of you guys, 
he thinks hashtag relationship goals. So that's pretty, that's pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah. He's a great guy. Mm-hmm. Chuck's yeah, awesome. He, uh, we spent a lot of time with him. Oh, there's our, there's our third. I don't know if you heard him monkey, our cat in the background, but uh, if you're, luck, appearance. If, if you're lucky, will. you'll get all three of us. <laughs> <laughs> we can only we can only hope. So I I've actually enlisted some Canadian rock royalty to help me describe your band sound. So are you guys ready for this? I got a little surprise for you. Yeah, let's oh, do it. This is fun. So this is from Christian Tana, the drummer from I Mother Earth. So he says he start. Oh, oh, there he is. Light on the cat. The oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Go Sorry, ahead. hang on. Come here, buddy. Yeah, this is live, right? That's all good. <laughs> we got to get the cat in there. See, I have a rabbit that's right beside me actually watching as well. So he was very vocal. So I think he wanted to join us. That's all good. That's all good. He wants to hear the quote. So this is from Christian Tana. He says, they're just my favorite people in rock. We've been friends since we toured together back in about 2016. They're a great band, better people, and they work hard, which is uh, what I appreciate a lot. The fact that awesome riff master Johnny is sexy as F-bomb doesn't hurt. But then he says, but I know that my buddy Renee is the real brains behind the operation. And here's where he helps me describe the sound of the band. He says, eagles, deserts, whiskey, guns, murder, way cool. Me and my band love those fuckers. Christian Tana, how does it feel to get some, <laughs> some kind words from the drummer from My Mother Earth? That's unreal. I love that. That's the, that's that's awesome. the nicest thing anybody has ever said about us. That's, that's our new bio, I think. <laughs> it should be our bio, yeah. for sure. I love yeah. that. I thought that was a pretty cool description, which is, uh, which is awesome. So you guys are, you guys are obviously huge music lovers. Where does this love of music come from? Like when you think back to growing up, what, what are the earliest musical memories where music seems to have kind of taken a hold of you? Well, I think for me, it would have stemmed from my parents because my parents are very much into rock and roll and bringing their kids to concerts. So, um, my earliest memories are concerts as a kid. So I think that's where it stemmed for me. Uh, I guess I, I fell in love with it um, at a young age, listening to my dad's vinyl. Like he had uh, some seven inches that I like, uh, uh, guess who seven inch that had uh, like it was a it was two tracks like these eyes and American Woman classic and i was just like that that to me was just something that was i just i was hooked it was it was just there was such an energy coming out of the speakers and it just made i was so young i was just like dancing around to it all the time was it on the like the fisher price record player you remember that thing oh yeah, Did you have yeah. One of those? i had i had one of those like plastic yeah you yeah. know like the orange and white plastic record players but uh I don't know, like my, my, my family was always, it just seemed like anytime music was on was a time to celebrate. And that to me was the greatest moments of my childhood because it was, it was always memories of happy times and people just enjoying the moment. And to me, that was, that was a re that I was hooked then to just want to, do that for, and celebrate with other people 
you know, like that, I, I think maybe that was my addiction to music was just the, um, the social celebration. <laughs> and, and from there, how do you, how do you gravitate towards your respective instruments? So the drums or the guitar? Uh, well, for me, like, again, going to concerts, um, for some reason, I was, I was just always fixated on the drummer. Like, I just, I don't know what it, the energy or what it was, but um, early in school, I was really fortunate enough to go to a school that had a program um, where the music teacher was just so engaging with her students. And um, even at an early age, I think it was grade four, maybe she would go around the room and show everybody and let everyone try every instrument. And so everybody was introduced to everything and whatever you gravitated towards the most is where she put you in the class as concert band. And so she, you know, introduced me to drums and then I got involved in that and she kept that going right up until grade eight. And then I continued it through high school and stuff. So really lucky to have a teacher like that. And um, that's what got me into drums. I, I don't think I got a drum kit until I was about 12. But um, that was when my parents kind of got involved because, you know, for them, which is great, too, because, you know, drumming is one of those things that you just can't do quietly. Right. And at the time when I was doing it too, electronic drum kits weren't on the scene. yet. I was going to so. say even electronic kits are like they're noisy enough too. you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So for them to nourish that, too, and um, get a drum kit for me and, you know, <laughs> go through all, all of those great playing over the years. <laughs> was that the greatest gift you ever received as a kid? Was the drum Oh kit? yeah. And it's funny because when I went to go get, pick up the drum kit, we went there for a very specific kit. Um, but when we got there, there was already one set up and I swear it had all the lights on it and it was silver sparkle and, I, but it wasn't the one we were there for. But I remember seeing it and being like, oh, that's a nice drum kit. And that's actually the one we went home with. So that's nice. Yeah. Johnny, how do you gravitate towards the guitar? Um, it's an interesting question. <laughs> uh, I guess um, gravitating towards it uh, was the vibration of it. You know, like I, I, I when I was younger, I used to like to pluck the strings and feel the vibration and just like pluck a string and hold it. And just like, I loved that feeling. Like, I don't know. It's just like a, you're like the, the Beethoven of guitar with like the, the ear to the, the instrument. The buzz of it is just like, I, it's, fa it's fantastic. <laughs> well, your parents are but, both uh, very musical too, right? So, yeah. So I, I mean, that's, that's, I had the opportunity to, to do that but i mean when you're when you're younger the and you don't for for my generation you didn't have phones and all that stuff so you would find ways to entertain yourself and that's always a, like a lot of curiosity about a lot of different things and the guitar was just one of them that i felt like it was just something incredible something magical so that the uh i gra gravitated towards it because of the the joy I saw it bringing other people when my parents would play it, and uh, and just the the vibration of it, I thought was just so. Um, I was hooked to it. It was like it, it was, I don't know, just me wanting to. I guess it's the uh, me just wanting to to uh, 
pursue something that's that seemed like this magical instrument, <laughs> magical tool of celebration. So I gravitated towards it. And and how early on did you guys know you had something special and that music was something you wanted to pursue full time as a career, possibly? Uh, solo wise, like before we were a band? Just period where you, you thought this could be a career. Like, I, I feel like I have some talent. I feel like I have something to offer. I feel like people could appreciate what I do. And, and, you know, maybe if I dedicated myself to this, that this is actually a career choice. I think for us, it was more organically. Like we, we just did it because we love to do it. Like we were just such huge fans of music and that's what really brought us together. We would go to shows um, and have a blast. And then we just started playing together because it was fun and we didn't think about making it a career. You know, like, I think that if, when you, if you, if you're setting out to make it a career, maybe your focus is in the wrong place. And so we just did it because we love to do it and we were very creative people. And then when it became a career is when record labels wanted to sign us. And then we just, we pursued, <laughs> we pursued that um, instead of pursuing the jobs that we had at the time. But, um, you know, like, I, I think that's more importantly than setting it to make it a career is just doing what you love to do. And I think that if you do what you love to do, then, you know, things will happen. And we're very fortunate to be able to do what we love to do and, and have the people have people love what we love to make. And I think that the, that's, that's probably like, I mean, that's how it happened for us. So um, I'm never, I'm never, I'm, I'm never too interested in, in bands that like, are, that's their main goal because usually the music that they make is pretty shitty or pretty like obvious. And I don't want to make obvious music. Like too try hard. Yeah. I want to make shit that's, that's organic and real and coming from an honest place. I mean, kind of going off of that, but more on the side of when did you kind of realize that you might be able to do this for a living? I think for us too, it was our first rehearsal, like our, I wouldn't even call it a rehearsal. We weren't rehearsing for anything. <laughs> we just, <laughs> we were, got just jamming. We were just jamming and we were both in a music program. And at the time, uh, it was just in like his basement and we hit record on our very first ever interaction of us um, playing together and listening back to that recording. It was, you know, one microphone mono, um, but we would show people and it was the reactions of other people and how much they liked it, that that was kind of like, oh, other people like this too. So I, think I knew, I knew other people were going to like it. <laughs> I Renee just knew because because Renee's, based Renee's on such a, like a fucking great drummer. So I just <laughs> well, no one knew that. <laughs> Did you guys meet in that program, or you knew each other before that? No, we met in the program. So yeah. the program mm -hmm. is London, Ontario. Was that the Fanshawe, the Music Industry Arts? It was, yes. Mm -hmm. Well, I have a, I have a, another surprise for you. Can you handle two surprises in one day? All right, let's do it. Okay, so here's a surprise for you. So. I happened to uh, go to school in London as well. So this is in 2004. I moved from Ottawa to London, Ontario 
to take a similar program, but in a private college called OER, Ontario Institute of Audio Recording Technology. So I took audio engineering. And in my program, we had a very special guest that came in to talk to the class. His name was Dan Broadbeck. So I have a quote here from Dan Broadbeck, who was your teacher <laughs> at, at Fanshawe. And uh, he went on to work on two of your albums, I believe. So here's the quote. This is from Dan Broadbeck. There's not a bad thing to say about Johnny and Renee. They're a great band and even better people. I taught them in my first year teaching. You were there on the ground level. That's awesome. Uh, which is how we met. And then I produced their first album and mixed the second album. So that's Dan Broadbeck, Juno, Juno award-winning producer. He's worked with the salads, with Dolores from the Cranberries and with the standstills. So that's from Dan for you guys. Oh, that's, that's amazing. Awesome. He's such a sweet guy. And he's like so incredibly talented. He's, yeah. His ear, it, like for music, is is unreal. When we worked with him, he he was just like it, it was amazing the magic he could do with uh, engineering and mixing and stuff. It just great producer too. Yeah, and Grammy nominated too, right? Grammy nominated. Last, so I guess they focus for what? Sorry. I think it was last year or the year before. Oh, last year he had. Okay. The, the Dolores. It was Dolores' song? solo album. From the last solo album. Mm -hmm. uh, I, guess, I guess when they hype up someone, they focus more on the win. So they just say Juno Award winner instead of Grammy. <laughs> a Grammy nominee. I mean, that's huge. That's maybe yeah. bigger than a, than a Juno win. But uh, any, so. anyway, so he worked on the first two albums with you guys. I'm curious. The first two albums aren't up on any streaming sites. Is that a conscious choice that they're not there? Uh, well, once we we had our label and we had our record deal, um, once we released the first EP, um, we kind of decided together that we should drop the back catalog. It was like a fresh start. Yeah, and Makes we sense. wanted to we wanted to come out as as something different because we had progressed, and uh, and then we also like we love when bands also have a, sort of a back catalog that is released later. So our pursuit when we when we started with the label is we were starting as something different, sort of fresh. Um, and we eventually will release the back catalog stuff um, to show a little bit more of the story. But uh, well, that being said, it is up online, but it's kind of hidden within our website for our fan club members. So um, mm -hmm. people who join our mailing list have access to it, but only them. I saw there was a members only fan club area and I was, I was curious what the perks were. And now I, now I know if I want to hear the first two albums, I know what to do. Yeah. That's where it's, that's where it's at. Yeah. And a lot of it is live off the floor. Oh, one of them is exactly live off the floor. Yeah. We the didn't whole... even, yeah. We didn't even see each other. So yeah, it was that an was interesting, interesting recording. <laughs> like but, I can feel you. Yeah. Yeah. We had a, we, we went to this like cottage of, up north in Canada and it was supposed to be the studio, like really nice studio. We got in there and it was uh, when we were getting ready to record, it was just somebody's, it was like a house. And uh, what's happening? Man, you're getting like trying, a beard, beard trying, combing. I know he, he likes to, he likes to, he likes to um, reciprocate the petting and try to like <laughs> pet me back. That's, but, uh, that's a well, that's a well-trained cat. I like it. He's a very, he's a very loved cat. 
but uh, he, uh, so we, uh, we went up there and that, but it was like the hottest day of the summer. So when we went to hit record, you could hear the AC in the room because it wasn't properly like set up. So we, we, we had to kill the AC and we basically were just like, roasted yeah we roasted, roasted we were the braised whole, yeah and we recorded an album when we were being like in when we were in an oven <laughs> and that album's called the human element <laughs> there you, there you, we get the backstories so yeah. you, you guys start jamming as a duo just organically did you just decide to keep it as a duo? I mean, normally you have a, a drummer and a guitarist and you start jamming and then, you know, obviously you add a bass player and you fill it out, maybe another guitar, maybe keys. And there's very few bands. I mean, you got your white stripes, your um, death from above your uh, oh, what's there's a huge duo band right now. Trouble's coming. What's the name of that band? Anyways, oh, Royal, Royal Blood. Blood. Royal blood. Uh, Did you guys just say, Hey, this is something unique. I like the way it sounds just the two of us, or it just, that's just the way it is. You never added someone else. Honestly, it's because bass players just weren't working out. We, we (laughs) tried, we tried out a few. And then, um, I think we just, because we were also in a relationship too, we were just reliable on each other. Like we knew we were going to be there for practice. We knew, you know, we were committed but mm-hmm. to get other people committed and like, yeah. And, and always, obviously the chemistry too, right? The chemistry has to be right. And we just never found it when we started out. So we just kind of continued as a two piece because that was what was reliable and was working really well for us. So. Yeah. I think that like when we, when we tried out bass players, it was a lot later when we first sort of started, like we started as a two piece and because we just wanted to play and so we never really, you know, we never, we never considered us any different than that because when we were playing as a two piece, that's just, that was just us. That's just what we wanted to do. And, uh, and the, so we never even really thought about um, bass until later down the road because we were just enjoying the moment. And I guess they, they, I think that that's, probably the best thing that you can do if you're going to create art is enjoy the moment he's actually cutting and and, and try to uh is is he bleeding or is he going to survive this uh... he's got like two giants he's not cutting me i mean we we do have we might we might end up with just renee by the end of this interview he would never dig into me like that he's just being a good boy (laughs) that's funny so the, the the band name the standstills does where does that come from is it just that it sounds cool or is there a meaning behind that uh well we we we've tried to change it actually but um the label said no yeah no like, you know what when we when we were starting out like we we were just having a lot of fun and and renee came up with the name she's like you know what if it's like kind of like a western standoff we call it something like the standstills we're like, yeah, that kind of rolls off the tongue. Let's let's go with it. Let's have some fun. And that that was basically it. We never put too much thought into it. We just we loved it at the time. So we just stuck with it. And then I mean we got a record deal and now we're the standstills. So that's kind of it. I, I think you know, like you don't it's the band that really makes the name. 
So it, that's always been a, a thing, the music that really defines the, what the name is. But we, we kind of looked at it over the years as something very kind of like moments caught in time and like when when life seems to just stand still and like you're you're enjoying the moment and stuff and that's kind of what is what it means to us now and i think that's what a really incredible song does it kind of just slows time down and really makes everything just that much more incredible and uh, i think that that's kind of what the name means to us and our pursuit has always just been like, we just want to write really creative, amazing music and amazing songs that mean something that can make the, the, the world stand still for a minute, you know, and enjoy the moment. So that's, I think that's what it's kind of ended up being. But at the time, yeah, it was just like, we were just having fun and it sounded good. See, when I when I think of bands that, you know, just kind of randomly named themselves and then regretted the name later, you think of ridiculous names like Red Hot Chili Peppers or Rainbow Butt Monkeys or Butthole Surfers. The Standstills <laughs> is an awesome name. So I, I don't <laughs> know. Why do you like I, it? I don't know. Thank why, you. I don't know why you guys think of changing it. But uh, anyways, it's you, got to stick it, now because of the success you've had already. So. Yeah. Thank you. you know what I really did it? It was because we went on tour with a band called The Lazies. And someone brought it to our attention that it sounded like the worst tour ever, like <laughs> yeah. the standstills and the lazy. You should add, like, you should add, do you guys win- do anything? Yeah. My favorite band is, is winter sleep. So you should add them to your oh, yeah. bill as well. And it's yeah. just a bunch, a bunch of people you put some couches on stage and you just lie there. I'd, yeah. I'd buy a ticket. Uh, who, who, who would you say are the band's biggest musical influences? So when I listen, I've listened to your discography many, many, many times um, Thank you. There's certain, you know, bands that jump out and influences. So I have an idea, but for our listeners, how would you describe maybe the sound and, and who are the influences from the start? I, well, I think the sound Christian Tama, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, like we, when we first started, we were huge into John Spencer blues explosion. We loved underground stuff. It was just dirty, raw, like it's almost like when you hear the recordings that the people it it was so it wasn't so perfect at all. It was so loose and so freeing and and uh, that stuff was really exciting. And then over time, I think, that you know, like we got really into a lot of desert rock um, uh, so like Caius and Queens, yeah, Queens is all that stuff, and but we we also really I like loved like some polished sounds too, you know, like it's there's there's um, a way of doing that and still maintaining um, a, a certain vibe about it that is still seems rich and cool. You know, like think that when you when you, there's a fine line when you get too polished, it's like cheesy and just terrible. But if you kind of hold it uh, at a certain level, it's just really good sounding, and you're bringing to light a lot of amazing things in the recordings. Um, so, like I, I think that Royal Blood does that really well. You know, like but. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was more influenced by the radio, to be honest. Like, I 
everything that was played on the radio was the songs I would go home and practice to or try out to. And I like Canadian rock radio, um, especially like when we first got together, it would be about, you know, we had doubles of CDs now because we had yeah. so many bands in common that we were listening to. And a lot of that was Canadian rock, but um, I, it's so weird because we our influences are pretty split, but there are a lot of commonalities. And especially like when you're together for a long period of time, like you start to, it becomes a melting pot, right? Like I was never really into the grunge scene, like heavily, but he was. I was and uh, Yeah. And now I love it, right? Like I, I'm like, how did I not hear about these records? You know, I knew the singles because of radio, but yeah. I never dove into it. It was the like records. Incubus for me. Yeah. And like, I love Incubus, so but he Inc- didn't really know them. And yeah, I knew Mr. Bungle. Yeah. And like, <laughs> and Primus. He introduced and like me Faith to Primus. No More. And I was like, and I knew Incubus, but not the catalog. So when we, when we met and I started to listen to the catalog more, like, they're then great, I fell in they're love great with musicians. I saw them a couple of times in Toronto and, Man, those musicians can, they can play their instruments in uh, Incubus. Oh, great albums. Yeah. 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 Science, like where they're jamming and that's so good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're a bit, we're a bit of a melting pot, I'd say. But I think that's the beauty of it. You know, we're not the same person. (laughs) That's that's probably for the best. You, you mentioned can rock. I actually have a, a question sent in from a fan that has to do with can rock. So this is a good segue. So they say, I was at a standstills slash I Mother Earth concert. And while IME was playing, Renee was rocking out and singing along to every tune. Was can rock a big influence on them growing up? And then he says, keep me anonymous because I have a crush on Renee and you're interviewing her husband, LOL. So <laughs> I was Christian too, wasn't yeah, it? Was that wasn't, that is, that is not, I can tell you that was not Christian. No, I know. <laughs> so yeah, definitely, definitely had an influence on me. I think so, it was like when we, when growing up in Canada too, like at the time when radio was so huge, you know, like the, the bands that we really had in common, like Big Wreck, Tea Party, like that stuff was, you, you never knew it was Canadian. You just assumed it was worldwide. OLP, and, Treble Charger. I mean, yeah, Nickelback, like, if you have a guilty pleasure like me. but I do. Well, I do have a guilty pleasure. Me, yeah. I know people might hate me for that, but <clears throat> they got some massive songs. People only started hating them because they got huge. And I, you Yeah, know, you like, know you've made it when you start to get like legit global haters, right? Yeah, but uh, there, was, there was amazing stuff. Um, Daglo abortions. <laughs> it's like Gandharvas. Gandharvas yeah. from London, That's Ontario. But there's uh, so many. I could miss so many, but yeah, all the edge fests and yeah. yeah. When you think about how badass the industry is, too, like you, you have a lot of really cutting edge hard rock bands coming out of Canada. Um, Alexis on Fire. Those guys, they they rip like death from above like that stuff is it's it's really really good music so i i mean the guilty pleasure of CanCon is i think just the guilty pleasure of liking good music <laughs> you know yeah I, i've seen i've seen your your sound described as something like the queens of the stone age if they were body slammed by the white stripe something like that so i'm wondering johnny would you say that jack white and josh home are like your guitar heroes or you're you just enjoy I, the music I, I so uh, I get a lot of comparisons with Jack White, but to be honest, like 
I, I enjoy his guitar playing, but he was never my big influence. Like uh, I liked more Tom Morello stuff and the way that he was using pitch shifters and stuff and the heaviness in the guitar. I love um, um, Hill Country Blues. And I think that Jack White also, like he loves Hill Country Blues, but I was like, I was listening to R.L. Burnside. I love the album of John Spencer Blues Explosion and R.L. Burnside, Ass Pocket Whiskey. Like I was into that stuff way earlier than knowing the White Stripes stuff. But I, I have a, a very deep appreciation for what Jack does as well. And uh, as far as Josh, like, I just love what he, the um, way that he extends riffs into a certain hypnotic pocket. And I think that that comes from a lot of my uh, enjoyment of listening to Hill Country Blues. You know, like there's, there's um, a way of just enjoying I guess it's just enjoying the moment again, like that, you know, there's a lot of music that's very progressive or it goes from one thing to the next to the next, it's very fast. But sometimes when you just hit a pocket and you can just groove to it, like that to me is something very special, you know? And you, you don't have to be, sometimes the progressive stuff gives me anxiety. <laughs> like I'm just like, why does it need to change so quickly all the time? They're just like, I just want to like bob my head or like move to it or dance to it. And I think that Josh was probably like a massive influence in, in for me in that sense of the stoner rock stuff. And uh, you get to really feel the guitar breathe on notes, you know, like, and it's just that you, it's like um, every single time you're hitting the strings in that same pattern, the guitar is vibrating differently. The, 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 um the overdrive is vibrating differently the app the amp is acting differently and all of that stuff is happening constantly in those grooves and i love that i love the way that you it feels different like almost every time you hear it because it's not just one perfect thing over and over and over it's this character over and over and over, but just shown different ways, the way different ways it's vibrating. I don't know. I'm getting deep into it now. <laughs> what, was that, the, what was the question? <laughs> it, the, the, the sound, the influence of the white stripes and Queens of the stone age. See, this is why we're doing a two hour deep dive. So we, we have time yeah. for this stuff, which is, this is what people want to hear. You know, if you do a 10 minute interview, mm -hmm. it's like, tell us about the new single. All right. And, that, mm -hmm. and that's it. Right. So, so no, this is the stuff that I enjoy. Uh, I guess you get some of the white stripes comparisons because they're a duo, you're a duo. There's like, you know, mm -hmm. the, the, the female drummer, um, some of the guitar sounds on some of your solos have kind of an icky thump type type of vibe, which is awesome. Like if you're going to get mm -hmm. a guitar tone, I mean, that's, yeah. that's one of the best. Uh, I'm curious, we, we've talked about the Wild West themes a bit. I'm just curious how you guys got this Wild West theme, sound, look, imagery. Uh, are you guys fans of Westerns and, and do you have a favorite Western movie? Is Clint Eastwood your hero? He I makes good Clint. movies. Even the non, I, his non-Western movies are good. Like he's a great director. Should I pull out our vinyl? No. <laughs> yeah, we have a... <clears throat> um, Quentin Tarantino, like we love his, uh, his, like for him is, I, I think his Western style stuff. I, I guess it's, you, you grab it. Like, everybody like grab Django it. Unchained or. 
yeah yeah, hateful hateful, we got the hateful eight vinyl which is like that's why i was gonna i was gonna grab it but it was like it's this incredible looking vinyl that has like all these blood splatters all over it and it's just like but every i guess everybody just gravitates towards what they really enjoy and that's just what we really enjoy like yeah it stemmed from the soundtracks i think of those movies right like ennio maricone is just the most amazing composer and like that music just lent itself to the themes of the movies right yeah Mm -hmm. i love clint eastwood and i i love i love westerns i don't know trying to think of like where that actually came into the music or like how that happened organically I don't know. <clears throat> I think it just like we just we started um, traveling. <laughs> it's just like where we started to go to the desert and Palm That's Springs, true. and like <laughs> we were just like I don't know. We we started to just um, it I, it happened organically. It must so have happened just, just from like yeah, just it was probably one winter movies, where we just yeah binge watched all the west the classic westerns, talking about it, and then just listening to the music, diving in. And then just like when you, I feel like when you love something <clears throat> or when you're influenced by something, it, it is an organic uh, deep dive into something, you know, like you want to pursue it more. You want to learn more about it. And. Uh, oh, you know what it was? Sorry. Keep going. No, no, go ahead. <clears throat> it, it, it would be the, the orchestral stuff in the music because we would, in our recordings, we'd be like, oh, you know what? We need that like rattlesnake thing. Or, you know what? I, yeah. <laughs> the vi- the Sorry, I'm just going to grab, I'm going to grab a drink. So no, go ahead. I'll be back. Go ahead. But, and we would recreate some of those, those sounds and those tones in our recordings. It was like, oh, this really needs like that, um, the sound of, you know, like the spurs. Cause there's always like those tambourine hits on snares and stuff sometimes. And we'd be like, oh, we need something that's like kind of spur sounding. And like, I just, it became that thing where we were like incorporating all the orchestral stuff into the music, but. Yeah. And then would the, would the image of the band come after writing and recording that kind of music like you you presented an image that is kind of congruent with the sound of the music i think that was more based on the actual films themselves like i i loved the fashion of wild west and i just i think when we began to incorporate that stuff it was it was already kind of happening in our everyday wear you know what i mean yeah. you got the spurs on your boots johnny i like it Boot tips yeah. for sure. Yeah. I think it we just kind of I guess being part of the music industry, it is kind of the Wild West, you know. And I think we kind of drew a lot of comparisons to that. You know, it's like um uh with the with Wild West movies and stuff, like the characters aren't always what they seem, you know, and you you they slowly progress into something else. And it's like the music industry is kind of like that. You know, there's a lot of like uh there's a lot of snakes out there. And there's a lot of um, and there's a lot of heroes, and I think that we we just started to see a lot more of that, and so we were drawing a lot of comparisons to that, and and I think we just started organically bringing that into our music because you know we're we're part of that Wild West music industry, and uh, and I guess that's just the the way that our story is being told, <laughs> like. And we're just kind of bringing that more to light. So I I don't know if you guys are into video games, but if you were a video game, you would be Red Dead Redemption 2. 
So if you if you don't play, if you don't yeah. know what that is, it's one of the greatest games of all time. It's definitely the best Western game of all time. And as I'm listening to your music and watching the music videos, I was like, man, these guys fit right into the world of Red Dead Redemption too. So do you do you know what that is, or was that just a random? Yeah, we know of it. We don't. That was the nerd. Really that was the stuff. nerd moment that no. you guys might hey, not associate video, with. Video games are fun. Don't. It's not a nerd moment at all. <laughs> Like, but you get all that shit is fucking, it's fun as hell. Like we, the Red Dead Redemption, I think we have like a PS2 somewhere with that game somewhere. I don't know. Yeah. You probably have years and years and years. We have gun. I was playing, I got really into gun. I don't know if you know that one. Years back. Yeah. I almost beat it, but there was a glitch. (laughs) We we always blame the glitch when we can't get past a certain area. Hours. No, it actually like, it was like, I don't know if you ever watched King of Kong, but it was one of those moments where like the screen just kind of would do one of these. You're like, what the heck was that? Yeah. We're still trying to to reach the developers. So if you can put put the word out there about the the developers of gun. If um, we can accomplish one thing with this interview, it's getting that game fix so that yeah you that's the only reason why we're, we're we're playing music is we're just trying to reach the developers of gun <laughs> and get into space right yeah yeah we, we we really want to do space travel too so elon musk gonna if ever i get if, him as if a guest you're watching yeah. he's putting people up there you know he wants to put us up there that'd be great well, spe- speaking of geniuses, so you guys have an album called Pushing Electric, and you dedicate that to Nikolai Tesla. Um, why that choice? And my question is, we're talking about movies. Have you seen The Prestige, where they oh, feature yeah. Nikola Tesla in it? And uh, it's and it's a great early ne- uh, Christopher Nolan movie. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, it's a fantastic movie. We, we, we dedicated that album to Nikola Tesla um because we were at the time we were just um we were really diving into his life and his what he accomplished and everything else and we're like why doesn't more people why don't more people know about this guy like why is it like at the, because at the time this was before tesla cars and and elon musk was huge well and, before our knowledge of <clears throat> tesla as a well, brand yeah, exactly. And so we we just really found it extremely interesting that this genius that created things that that will change history is not brought to light. And we got so deeply into it that we just wanted, uh, I guess it was just more, I, when we create, it's, it's always like we're sponges. We're just sponging in so many different things. And then when we create, we just like let it out and at the time Nikola Tesla was a huge part of our conversation a huge part of like us like like prestige watching the movie or whatever and and all that stuff so that's just how we were creating at the time and we wanted to dedicate it to him because he was really influencing a lot of ideas and lyrically and stuff and and uh and we think that what he did what he has done for um the the world and still what he's created <clears throat> that has not even brought been brought to light as to the to the full capacity is something that um is good for the planet <laughs> you know so we wanted to dedicate that to a really decent human being <laughs> yeah, unfortunately didn't get credit for anything well he yeah. obviously now it's all out on the table and he's finally been 
pronounced the godfather of a lot of things that he should have been. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've all of us that have ovens and microwaves and dishwashers, radios, all that stuff is because of Nikola Tesla. He made that possible. Like, you know, we're, we're able to survive in, in the craziest of climates because of Nikola Tesla. And like, that's, there's the least we could do is dedicate an album to him. (laughs) We're we're getting the good word out today. Uh, So in, in 2015, you guys released your EP from the devil's porch. Uh, When when you guys think back to that album, what are kind of the, the emotions, the thoughts, the memories that, that kick in? I mean, that's the album that, that really kicked off the epic journey that you're on now. James Robertson. Yeah, James Robertson. <laughs> uh, the recording process is extremely. So that's unique. the producer, right, James? Yeah. Yeah, and he's a great guy. And um, uh, so we did it out of his house. Um, he had quite the setup going on, um, and we stayed with him for really long periods of time. So he's he was in Streetsville at the time in Mississauga in this like historical home, and. I, we just, we spent so much time on that record and working on it together. Mm-hmm. And, and he would come visit us where we were in Oshawa and like, listen to his jam, go to our jam space and just kind of sit there and listen. And uh, it was, in a, that album was the first time we really worked that deeply with somebody else. Because prior to that, I mean, we we did an album with Dan Broadbeck uh, in the early stages, but it, it it was a pretty quick process because we were we were all busy in our own lives doing things. So Dan was busy, we were busy, so we we kind of we we had a lot of the material. We just went in and recorded, and it was an amazing experience. But for from the Devil's Porch, it was it was we really took our time with it, and. Uh, went through uh, a lot of different material and kind of just focused in on certain songs and then going to Streetsville and working with James was an amazing experience. He's a really great guy. He's very creative. He's a genius. And when it comes to a lot of different things and we found it um, um, very gratifying piecing the music together with him in the recording process and uh, there was, it was funny, we, we would go through, because he lived in a house and it was, it was like a historical heritage home. Um, That's why it's called were, Heritage Recording Studio? Yeah. Okay. So he, we, he's not there anymore, unfortunately, but. But there was electrical like issues sometimes. So we would have to change things up. You know, like we would, we'd set the drums up in like a living room somewhere. And then it'd be like, oh, we're getting a little bit of crackling. So we'd have to like move things around and stuff. And like, and uh, so it was a, it was a, uh, it was an adventure <laughs> recording in that heritage home. But uh um, it was an amazing process. And I think that we, when it was all done, we all just kind of sat back and be like, we have something incredibly special here. And, uh, and just like looking back at that album now, it's, you know, that kind of launched everything. This song Orleans, like it was, it was such a fun jam that kind of, that brings to light a lot of our John Spencer blues explosion, that sort of thing where it's just like, I think there's like six lyrics in that song, (laughs) but it doesn't matter because it feels good. 
And that's important, you know, and we would talk about that, you know, like, do we have to say more? Do we need to add more lyrics? Do we need to do this? It's like, just listen to it. It feels really great. It has a really great pocket. We would have these conversations in Streetsville with James. And uh, I think that's important in the creative process is to really just sit back and let the music and let the art be what it needs to be, not force it. And that's that's from the devil's porch. It's just kind of, you know, it's also enhancing it with other musicians, too. We've never had other musicians come in on the record. Mm -hmm. And in that case, we brought in, you know, Paul Reddick on harmonica Mm -hmm. and uh, Anthony Carone on keys. We had uh, a singer. Yeah, we had a singer come in to do female vocals. And like we really put everything into it to really enhance the songs. So. I think we were really diving into the Wild West theme more. Well, we were in that album more than ever too. So it was kind of like a reflection of where we were at at the time. And that's kind of why we called it From the Devil's Porch. It was just like, um, it was a lot of, there was a lot of blues influence, a lot of Wild West influence. We were just totally diving and saturating ourselves in all of that stuff as much as possible but still maintaining a lot of the edge and the hard rock stuff where we're um we came from like our first time hanging out we were at call the office watching a, a hardcore band bionic <laughs> so we're, we're not this like the wild west acoustic-y thing like we're we're like we're bringing all this edge and heavy and loud stuff to the forefront and using these themes and mixing them all in. And that was, it was a really, really special experience. And we're very grateful for all the people we worked with and Mm -hmm. like James helping us um, bring that to light and really piecing that together. Call the office was the go-to place when I was in college. I saw uh, Outer Finger there. I saw Matt Mays, uh, some amazing bands. I I, I had friends that saw Queens of the Stone Age at Call the Office when that's how big the band was. They were that small that they played Call the Office. And uh, I Mm -hmm. I heard that Josh Holm would like run through the crowd with his guitar the whole time just playing, which was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so you talked a lot about Streetsville. So I actually met Anthony Carone cause I was hosting open mics in Streetsville at Marcello's at the cock and pheasant. So Anthony wow. Carone came out, uh, when he was still in ill Scarlet back in the day. And since then he's moved on to uh, the Arkells. Um, so you talked about James Robertson working closely with you guys as the producer. Uh, the album was actually mixed by Eric Ratz. Uh, so I reached out to Eric Ratz. So he's a multiple Juno and Grammy award winner. He's worked with Billy Talent, Big Rack, the Arkells as well. And uh, this what this is what Eric Ratz has to say about you guys. He says, I had the pleasure of mixing from the Devil's Porch. I could hear that there was a unique dynamic to their songs and a certain synergy between Johnny and Renee that set them apart from other bands. So that's from Eric Ratz. Is this oh, like a blast amazing. from the past? All these, it is. All these it is. See, during it the is. pandemic, it's like we don't see anybody that we know. So it's nice to kind it's of true. still hear from them, right? Yeah. That's oh, awesome. Ratsy's, Thanks for putting that together. Yeah, Ratsy's nice. amazing. He was a he was a really big part of that too. I oh, mean, yeah. Like, when we came to the table with him, we were just like, so this is what we have. <laughs> it's like there's like tons of like different things going on in the recordings, and it's just but I think what Radzi did is he was just like looking at the, 
the like the simple this like best elements and just like okay it needs to be this 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 it's like let's just use that and push that forward and that was the first time we were ever present for a mix too like he was persistent that we were there so mm-hmm. like to be able to sit in the room and like hear it in the studio as he's mixing it was pretty yeah. unique experience too because working with dan we, we would send out the album and stuff because we wanted him to mix it but we so doing that we would have to um we would have to just get the mixes as they were coming in but being close enough to Razzi being able to be there and him really wanting us to be in the room and stuff was was awesome he's he's so good mm-hmm. at uh mixing heavy music <laughs> like it's just his drums are unreal. <laughs> like, like when he just like dives into the dynamic, he he's like a like Ratsy was a speaker guy, right? Like he used to sell speakers before getting into um, mixing and engineering and all that stuff when he was really young. So he he recognizes he knows how to push the speakers. So when you listen to his mixes, like. Don't listen to him on headphones like this. Like you got to put them on like a good speaker system and just watch them move. That's how he mixes. It's it's amazing. He's incredible. I love that you call him Ratsy. That's how I know you guys. You, you know, you're, <laughs> you actually know each other. You have the the, the pet name. Um, are, are you guys good if we dive into the songs on from the Devil's Porch? So kind of touch on the different the different sure. songs on that album. So. Um, What's funny is you mentioned that you brought in some other musicians that played. I was going to ask about the harmonica. Who's playing the harmonica? You just mentioned that. Uh, there were parts where I wasn't sure if it was using guitar with effects or if it was keys, because I didn't know if there was actually keys on the album. So you did mention that there's keys as well. So uh, on the first song, The Road, I guess there's keys in the course. There's some high notes that I weren't. I wasn't sure if they were keys or like really fast guitar picking. Um do you do you remember if there's there's keys on that song? I believe it's Hammond organ. I yeah, think that's what he was we, playing. We made it sound like a guitar. <laughs> okay, <laughs> like, that's that's why I was fooled. I was like, yeah. I can't figure this one out. Yeah, I mean, like, there's a it there. Sometimes just having that separation gives it just a little more depth. Like if we if to do the guitar stuff, like it when layering those songs and stuff, it throwing in more guitar and stuff, sometimes it just gets a little lost. So when we brought uh, um, Tony in to be able to to have that separation from the keys, but we were just like, let's still make it kind of guitar-y. So having it kind of sound like a guitar. So we, we did what we we made it to, uh, what we tried to achieve, which is that we fooled you. <laughs> hey fool, fool me once we'll see how many times I, i'm sure i'm fooled many times with these questions no I it's it's, about it's the songs. no it's <laughs> we were just having fun but it, like it it's uh yeah tony it was tony and distorted big heavy guitar sound sounding ham and organ up in the up in the higher ranges for sure so the, the first single was Orleans. I got heavy radio play uh, on rock stations in Canada, featured in a Fido commercial. That's how you know you've made it. Oh, and uh, that's the commercial. Yeah. And <laughs> so my question, this is for Renee, I, I suppose. Do you think that this was such a big single because you, you were prominently featuring everyone's favorite instrument, the cowbell? Is that what made this a big hit? Let's be honest. Is Will Ferrell a big, so- a big fan of this song in this band? 
I want to know that. I want to know the truth here. Uh, the funny thing is, is that the cowbell came in at the end of the recording. I bought that cowbell in Streetsville. It's true. I never owned one prior. Um, and now it's on everything. Uh, <laughs> we, 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 when we wrote it, it was a horse bell. And then we changed it to a cowbell. And What's a now, horse bell? I don't know. It's a stupid joke. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. That's, That's awesome. Yeah, there's some cowbell on a, on a few of the different songs. I was wondering, man, Johnny, there's like five different badass guitar riffs in that one song. I was curious if you were worried that you were using up the entire EP's worth of riffs on one song and you'd end up just, you know, <laughs> playing chords on the rest of the album. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think like as a guitar Can't you player... share? Can't you share the riffs amongst the rest of the album? No, there's more think, awesome riffs everywhere. I, thanks, man. I think as a guitar player, it's like when you get into a certain, for me, when I get into a certain pocket, it's just like dancing. It's like you just, you're dancing a certain way and the guitar just writes itself and you just go with it, you know, but uh, that's just what that, that tune just, that's the way it made me feel. <laughs> it's like, I just want to play it like this and, and try to go for it. And, you know? Well, you made the right decision, I would say, you know, with it resonating with so many people. The the music video has you guys in a hotel room. It has Johnny. It's like you're up late at night. You can't sleep. You're working on a song. Um, how did you, this song actually come to be? Was it you were saying there's not a lot of lyrics, so I'm assuming the lyrics came second. It was was it based around a guitar riff? Um, yeah, I think that. Uh, looking back, um I was listening to, um, I was diving into a lot of the old blues stuff and uh, a lot of really uh, early recordings, like I think of Lomax, early recordings of like, he would just uh, go around and, and uh, bring a camera to certain parts of the US and, and just film these like blues players in all these different fields and different places and stuff. And it was just like, I was just so amazed at the energy of these players. Cause these guys are just like, they're playing for, they're playing because they, they love it. They're not playing to make money. They're not playing because of this and that and stuff. And I think that, you know, looking at um, the music, like music industry, you get lost in that. Like you, people forget that this is just like, this is a pastime. This is what people love to do. And it's just, that's it. It doesn't matter if you make money on it. It's because it's, it's, it makes, it makes the life better playing an instrument like that. And it's like, there's a, there, it's like an outlet for so much uh, emotion and, and uh, everything else. And so look, I think that's where the song came from was just the er, looking at a lot of the early um, roots of rock and roll. Probably uh, a lot of is, Fat Possum. Yeah, Fat Possum stuff, record yeah. stuff. Um, R.L. Burnside and like all that early stuff, juke, juke joint stuff. And like, um, I think that's why it needed to be simple and not a lot of lyrics because that stuff is just it's repetitive, but people are dancing to it. They're moving to it. And like, that's, that's what that, um, that's all it needs to be. It doesn't need to be more than that. You don't need to force a ton of stuff into it. It's just the simplicity of it is beautiful. 
and we just wanted to i think that like writing that song i just wanted to write something that was like that <laughs> like just keep it simple straight up right across the plate <laughs> like this is how um a good song can feel and i think that just it was more i i think that it was more um a reflection of us being able to um show that we can restrain ourselves from overdoing stuff that's that's kind of like the nature of that song and uh i think that's the beauty of it the uh, the song shotgun man the intro the guitar and drums it's such a thick like tasty sound i'm i'm curious how do you how do you get that sound so i guess maybe this is like an instrument kind of question like for johnny is there a specific guitar and then amp and then pedals that you use and then renee is there a specific drum kit that you you go with or sticks Uh, i guess that's what we're getting into for like the the tech heads that are listening to this episode uh well i mean i think the biggest element in that song as far as the drums go was the kick drum um, and then on top of that, I can't remember if it was rats that did this or it was James, but we layered an actual shotgun on the snare drop out of the bridge. Yeah. Oh, it, was wow. rats. It, was it was rats. It was rats. It was rats. Yeah. It was, it was like a co- like combination of like this, like reverb unit and stuff and just the nasty snare, like the, ding! it was like almost something like, um metallica saint anger snare drum like a, just a touch of it <laughs> but yeah it's i think that was the that one it was uh i remember the kick drum purposely because yeah. he took off the front head and then um really tuned it down it was hard to play it because the tighter the head is the quicker your beater can be on it when you're playing the kick drum, but he loosened it so far down that it was like, when I hit it, it just sunk into it. But that's the sound he was going for. He's like, just, just try and work with me. Like, just, just play it. You can do it. You can do it. It took me a long time to do it, but we got it done. Mm -hmm. And it was, it's very evident in the song and how it sounds. So, but to be honest, I think a lot of it is guitar because Johnny does a lot of layering and he works with a lot of really cool pedals and that one specifically was a baritone too. Oh, that's right. Like that's yeah. I, I really dove into the baritone. This that was the first album I think I started using baritone mm-hmm. guitar. So it's it's the in between uh, guitar and a bass. So it sounds like a bass guitar on a lot of it, and I think that uh, that just made it feel so nasty <laughs> and the riffing and the just like because now we're just dropping everything right down and just like bringing this like heaviness to it and uh that's a low tuning yeah it's very low tuning and i think that adds the element of it but uh that's like a shotgun right it's not like it's not a pistol it's not a quick little guitar it's just this heavy low just <laughs> I was going to ask listening, you know, with a background in audio engineering with good studio headphones, I'm listening to the album and it's like, I, I it doesn't, there's no bass isn't missing, but I'm not sure if there's a bass or not recorded. So can you clarify, is there like a bass player through the EP or is it that you're covering those frequencies with your baritone guitar? 
There's there's a combination of a lot of things. The the baritone um, octave pedals, and uh, we did we did put root notes of bass down just to uh, fill out the EQ spectrum. Yeah, and just to have the option for mixing. So it was up to Ratsy. It's like this is what we want to achieve, sort of thing. And then Ratsy would just kind of be like, like that's his world. So we did. We wanted to give him the option, being like, you know, if we if we with all the octaves and the baritone and stuff, if, if it's still missing, that we could put a little bit of this in there too, because it's like when we when we were playing the songs, and when you're in the room, you feel all that stuff. But if like in recording, it's such a different beast. So it's like we want to the listener to have the same experiences us in a room with this, like all the octaves, the baritone and all that stuff and all that big sound. Um, so we did, we put root notes on stuff, but uh, not always there. Like it's like a little bit here and there just to fill it out to like sort of like give it a little body and stuff in sections that it didn't have. But uh, that's, that's just the recording process, I guess, when you just, you just kind of like have to try to do whatever you can to try to make it uh, as close as possible to the way it sounds in the room when you're jamming on real stuff. Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned Metallica's St. Anger. And it's so funny you mentioned that because listening to that EP, your vocals in certain points, I got a James Hetfield um, vibe when it comes to how the vocals were mixed. So I, I found that on the EP versus Badlands, your vocals were more raw, kind of more more dry, kind of piercing through. They sound great. It's not um, it's not a detriment. It's just describing the sound versus Badlands. The vocals are are, are warmer. There's reverb. There's delays. And I'm just curious, mm-hmm. was that a conscious choice to have that style mixing the vocals versus the EP and then the album after? That was definitely a change in mixer because what we yeah. did that that was Eddie Spear. So we went down to Nashville specifically for, for yeah. that sound because. This was a more, um, yeah, sorry for Badlands, because it was more of that Western vibe and that, um, that Hill Country Blues kind of side of things. And he he was just at the cutting edge of a lot of the records we were listening to at the time. And um, he brought about a lot of, like he wasn't using a lot of the newer uh, processing effects and stuff. He brought all the hard equipment out. so. Mm-hmm. He had like this crazy delay from like Abbey Road Studios. Like he brought it in a suitcase when he came over from England. And like he he was just using all those cool like candy yeah, effects that like, we loved on those those records. So from the Devil's Porch, like that when we Ratsy, he mixed so many albums that we loved. Like the the stuff that we um when we went to Ratsy, like we were really into uh, the big wreck stuff that was happening at the time too, and Monster Truck, and like we just loved the way that that was just so heavy and so present, punchy, punchy, and and like so we like we were like this is this is us, like this is exactly the guy that we need to use because he's he's hitting all of the elements that we love, but it's all the elements that we are 
um, naturally creating when we're jamming. Like it's like this heavy sound, heavy guitars, heavy drums, all that stuff. And uh, so the vocal, it was, he, 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 I think he just had a really good handle on our sound and what we were going for. So he really knew how to bring forward that sort of like piercing, a little bit of aggressive vocal sound. And that's what the, the album needed to be because it was, we were doing things, uh, we were writing such heavy riffs and, and heavy music and the themes were heavy. And like, it was just like, we needed to cut. So Ratsy mixing, uh, he was he was making it cut through more where Badlands is just a little bit of a step back. It's more this kind of like throwback sound um, and sort of a throwback journey Whereas from the devil's porch is just more present and cutting. Um, There's definitely but, an evolution between the two. Yeah. yeah. And, and it was also our first time pressing vinyl too. And we wanted to compliment that too. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, when you hear Badlands on a, a vinyl, it's, that's the way to listen to it. Really. It's, that's the way we were kind of the whole process of making it was just like, this is how it needs to be heard. Um, because of the way that the vinyl breathes, you can hear the depth of the recording. And um, and it's just kind of, that's that's the journey we were on at the time. You know, and, and it is an evolution. And I think that we're fortunate to be able to do that as artists, is take these different chances and go down these rabbit holes and stuff, you know? Like, to me, the, 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 those are the bands that we love the most that make albums that are that isn't just the one trick pony every single time. It's just like boring, <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> show me that you're, that you have some depth to you, please. <laughs> like, I don't want to know that you like, you know, like that you eat the same sandwich every day. <laughs> <laughs> so R- Renee, I want to know how much fun is it to play the song Pay No Mind live with the, the cool drum fills after the chorus? Oh man, we actually have not played that one live in a long time. How, oh, and a lot of that you're going to say never. I was going to say, how dare you? But not. <laughs> can it be expected? Moment. Can it be expected on the upcoming tour? Um, I guess you're, our, you're opening, so you have, a, you have a shorter set, perhaps. You know? Yeah, and that's hard too, right? Like, I remember with I Mother Earth and Our Lady Peace, that tour, we were given what, 20 minutes? I was like, that's four songs. That's hard. Like, how do you pick four songs out of the catalog of like four albums? But and you have um, to play Orleans, you know? Yeah. So you have to play. We played it four times. We We gave the people what they wanted. (laughs) We have time for one song and one song only, four times. Here you go. So it is going to depend on the set. I know we're going to be doing some headlining shows this year. So we have more of an opportunity to bring back Mm -hmm. some of the other stuff. But I think our pride and joy right now is really showcasing what we just did. So Mm -hmm. I think it's the evolution of where we're going and we're really proud of it. And we're really excited to show people it. So Mm -hmm. I think uh, the focus will be on new material, but that being said with a longer set, we do have the opportunity to bring back some, some classics. Yeah. I, I agree that we're just so excited about the new stuff and that's just kind of where we're at. Like we, you know, bringing, bringing the old stuff, older stuff back, um, it's it looking at a set list. It's like, you, we have the opportunity 
to um, only do so much. So if, if we have the opportunity to only do so much, if we put this song in, then we have to take that song out. And it's like, and it's kind of like this relationship like that. And uh, what we really want everybody to hear is all the, the, what we, what we just did, because it was such a, um, we dove in so deeply on this new album that we, like it's, we truly feel this is like the greatest thing we've, we've done to date. And we really want to share every single song with everybody. That and big, it's that like, big and and it's like the whole record. yeah. And if we, <laughs> if we take one out, then we got to, if we put that one in, then we got to take this one out. But we, we want to share that feeling with everybody. And, uh, and, but like, but it, is a balance. Said, it is a balance. Cause obviously yeah. you want to appeal to your early fans too. Right. So yeah. We're not going to completely, we just want to do, we want to do all of it for everybody all the time, but we only have so much time. (laughs) Yeah, uh, uh, I've had, so your upcoming tour, uh, you guys are opening for, is it Saint Asonia? Saint Asonia? How do you pronounce it? Saint Asonia. Asonia? Potato. So I I say Saint Asonia and then I I heard a friend say the name and and they said something different. I thought, oh man, maybe I've been saying it wrong, but Nirvana, Nirvana. (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. So I, I've had so the Ottawa date for your, your tour is May 17th. So I'm a fan of you guys. I'm a fan of them. Uh, the first album I got into that I really loved when I was 16 was stained, uh, break the cycle. This is back in 2001. So them having the guitarist, Mike Mushock from, from stained, like that's like a hero of mine as a guitarist. So I've had, I've had your show on my calendar and then, listen to what the universe just did to me. So back during the pandemic, I had tickets to a massive uh, metal show in Montreal. So Megadeth, Lamb of God, Trivium, Hatebreed, and they've been rescheduling the whole pandemic and they just rescheduled it for May 17th in Montreal. I know. So the, the Toronto date is the exact same thing. They're also in Toronto when we're in Toronto. Yeah. So yeah. So the universe just did that to me. Right now you're seeing because it's like the floodgates have opened, right? So every mm-hmm. band is touring right now or announcing tours. So there we're coming to this crazy time where there's going to be so much overlap where you have options what to do on a Saturday night, not yeah. just oh, so and so is playing here. So it's actually kind of a cool time to be out there and touring right now because mm-hmm. everybody is and the excitement is back the buzz is back and mm-hmm. live music is back so we yeah, will definitely be out there a lot yeah it's, the it's, the, uh, the main the main source of income for for musicians is is touring it's ticket sales so you know everyone it, everyone's been hurting financially in the entertainment industry for the last two years during the pandemic. And now that kind of everything, the the restrictions in Ontario, at least and and Canada are, are really lifting and yeah, everybody's hit like bands that haven't toured in like 20 years are now touring again. It's, it's like, there's this huge demand for live music, which is pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. we're gonna see a lot of bands come out of retirement maybe yeah and maybe not for the better <laughs> that's true hey I, I got uh they announced rage against the machine at blues fest in ottawa so i got a full pass for blues fest and uh you you mentioned tom morello being uh being one one yeah, of your influences yeah. i he's he's so like, creative mm-hmm. yeah uh, we hope I, to go to that show too uh well toronto it's 
it's hard as you know we're such big fans of music but we're at the point in our careers now where we just can't buy tickets anymore because every time we have to sell them because we have a show or we have a tour right so yeah we, mm-hmm. we just kind of play it last minute but that's that's definitely one of the shows on our radar mm-hmm. right now was that to open Go for ahead. <laughs> to open for yeah yeah hey if you could just play with all these bands and right it works out yeah there yeah. there is a as much as we love going to shows it's playing the shows is, is a completely different rush oh yeah so renee i was i was asking you about uh, the drum fills on uh, pay no mind so i actually have a comment sent in here from a, a fellow drummer. So this is from Mark Homer, who is the drummer for James Brown before he passed away. And he's been playing for C spot run. So Mark Homer says these two beautiful humans are all are all what is right about rock and roll today under the powerful stranglehold their music has on you are two of the nicest pros out there, energetic and raw drumming that makes you move and songs that remind you that rock rules heavy tones, intelligent writing with creative parts, more please. So that's from Mark Homer. Wow. That's, so cool. that's, a, that's unbelievable. That's Thank amazing. you. That's incredible. This is the best interview we've ever done. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to put that on a poster somewhere. <laughs> we'll get people, we'll get some, some more people to tune in with that. Uh, so my my favorite guitar part on the entire EP. So we're about to move over to Badlands, talk about Badlands, the new album, the new tour. So to wrap up with the EP, um, my favorite guitar part is the guitar solo in Rise of the Fall. That man, mm. that is so oh. badass. And I guess for all the guitarists that are listening, do you have any advice on how a guitarist can play both the rhythm guitar and the lead guitar at the same time? Is there a trick to this? Um. <laughs> your cat's answering that question he said no there's yeah. no trick there's no trick see, i don't see know i i don't know how i do it <laughs> I, I guess when you write it you make it where it's possible to I, just, both, or I, I just i make it impossible for myself and then be like this is not possible and then just try to make it possible <laughs> that's what i do <laughs> so the impossible is possible that's my that's my words that's of wisdom advice. If that's my advice cards, the impossible is possible card. how was was the song orleans kind of the first song from you guys that really got a lot of radio play like i'm curious what what was it like hearing your song on radio frequently what are the emotions well, the feelings I is think, it surreal yeah I think we carry had, on was the big we, the we did have one. a few radio singles before that one but this was the first one that really popped um yeah, there was a crazy moment where we, uh, we had, <laughs> this story is just. <laughs> You're going to talk about the shed? I'm going to talk story? about building the shed. Oh God, <laughs> here we go. Here we go, shed story. <laughs> Cue up the shed story. This was like a building Ikea furniture moment, but we, um, we had to build the shed. And uh, I remember something went horribly wrong and we put the wrong piece in the wrong place and we had to redo it. <laughs> And we, this went like way into the night. Like we're working under floodlights and then- It's like maximum three hours. We're like seven hours yeah. deep. We're angry, we're frustrated, we're tired. And we're like, you know what? Let's just go out for a beer. I'm exhausted. We finished this thing, let's go out for a beer. And then when we went out for a beer and we sat at the bar and our song came on and we're just kind of laughing and, and listening and drinking. And then it's like, people in the bar is singing the song yeah. and they don't even know who we are. Cause at that point our, 
our imagery hadn't really been anywhere. I don't, we didn't even have management at the time. And it's just, I didn't even know if we had an agent. Yeah, like maybe. We, just, <laughs> we had a record label was, that was just like, this fucking kicks ass and let's put it out there. And then and, and we just had it out there. We're yeah. sitting in a bar. We're like, it was a surreal moment. Singing the song. Yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was the it was, shed building day. Yeah. It was, was pretty cool incredible. Moment. But uh, I guess that's the nature of it. If you just, try to do something really great it's going to people are going to recognize the the um the effort of it at least but uh, also if it is it is something really great people are going to enjoy it so that was that was a really awesome moment to just be sitting there and be like they have no idea that we wrote this (laughs) (laughs) i've seen videos where there's you know, there's, there's a band that's playing on a patio and they're doing a cover song and then the actual artist walks by. So it's like, it's in LA and, and, you know, the band lit, uh, you know, my own worst enemy and they had a bunch of huge songs. Um, you make me complete whatever, all those songs. So it's like the band is walking by outside and inside they hear their hit being played and they like hop the fence and go up and go on stage and the, the guy like turns and the real bands there and they get up and they jam and you see those videos. So it's, it's, it's funny. It's kind of like that where you're there and people are singing. They have no idea that, that the, they're, you know, they're in the company of, of, of royalty. They have no idea. I don't know if I'd call it royalty. <laughs> I was going to say greatness, greatness, royalty, at least of the creators of the song. Anyways, yeah, but thank you. Yeah, it, 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 it is a funny thing. It's like a the dynamic because we, we're, we're all, I mean, every artist is a fan first, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's being on the other side of it is different. It's funny, but I think that we, what we try to do is just, always maintain maintain to be humble about it and feel grateful that we have the opportunity to do what we do because we're we're fans first and artists second and i think that uh, we've i don't like i've met artists where it's just like they've lost that perspective and it's like ah oh, this guy's a real piece of shit <laughs> You know, and feel entitled and that sucks it's like you know just be you you don't have to be a piece of shit because you think you're better than everybody else like you know and that sucks like i don't i don't i don't don't ever want to be that guy because that's just not me but it's Mm -hmm. also like it's like you're not we do what we do because we're we're lucky to be able to have the opportunity to do it and that's the most important thing to never lose sight of. And, and I think that uh, that's why when we, we meet fans and stuff, like we're just grateful that they, they like what we do because it gives us the opportunity to, to do it more. Yeah. And we all started at open mics and in the garage, you know what I mean? Like there's yeah. no hiding the fact that you, you once sucked pretty bad. Yeah. And so artists may, may never go back to that. And some artists may realize that I will never go back to that, but it doesn't mean you have to lose your perspective, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and still just be a decent human being and, and know that you you were a fan first. And I think that that's, um, I, the, the people that we meet that are on the highest levels of the music industry, they 
uh, so many of them have that perspective and stay humble like that and aren't pretending to be something else. And I think that there's a lot of artists that do try to pretend to be something else that they're not. And, um, and to me, it's just like, it's so phony and it's just like, makes you want to puke. <laughs> like it's like, but uh, um, for us, it's just, that it, it's just us, I guess, as, as people that we we're always just going to be fans first. We always grab tickets for shows and want to go out there and stuff. And I think that that's, that, that's what fuels the organic music that we make and the art that we try to pursue and the songs that we try to write are coming from an honest place. And I think that that's the most, those songs are the, always that you are the greatest songs that can be put out there because it's a real deep connection. Putting your heart out there, you're putting your soul out there. And that connection is, is happening to many different people. And to share that moment on the stage live is something that uh, it's just, it's a real, that's, that's life. That's true living as an artist, you know, otherwise you're just faking it. If you're faking it, get off the stage. (laughs) People know when you're faking it, right. They can, they can feel the, the congruency and all that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I hope so. So in, in 2019, you guys released your full length album, Badlands. Did you feel pressure to follow up the success of the EP and the hit single Orleans? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> let's, be, let's be honest here. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Like it's, I mean, cause we, it wasn't like a, it wasn't a formula, you know, I, I, there's bands that have formulas that they'll be like, this is how we do it. And it's just like a, it's like you have this blueprint of this formula of how to do everything. And those bands are, are right. Rewriting the same song every single time. And it's like, that's the one trick pony. We're not the one trick pony. We don't have well, this necessarily. specific formula that we're following for every single song. Yeah, that album was a bit chaotic, right? And a bit all over the place. So how do you recreate that? <laughs> you can't. Yeah. So don't, I guess we just didn't try to recreate it. We just kind of, we knew that we did it on our own. So if we can just make that magic happen again, as we always have, we always, it's always kind of not this, not to say it's the same thing every time, but our mentality going into the record is the same every time. Which you know? is like, like we wrote these riff songs and, you know, we made the songs the best they could be. So let's just keep that consistent. Keep writing the best songs you can write. Yeah. So I, we just stuck with that. Like why um, try and change that up, I guess, except that we want to make the songs better. So I think, that's what we changed on that record, right? Like we looked at the writing of the songs a little more and as much we've always been very riff driven, right? Like that's where our music started. Lyrics were always kind of written later, always Mm -hmm. began with the music and us in a room and just jamming and like hit and record Mm -hmm. when, Oh, I really like that. Do that again. Let's do that again. And that's kind of always where our songs always started. So this one, Mm was that too but we honed in more on songwriting and crafting the songs to be um better (laughs) yeah so it's like it's like what we what we learned from the process of from the devil's porch Mm -hmm. we took all of that and brought it into the process of badlands but we also pushed ourselves more and i think that that's what we that's the nature of trying to always improve and write better songs it's like know what worked 
and then push yourself more on different elements of it and try um, to um, challenge yourself in different ways that you haven't challenged yourself on the last recording. And uh, I think that like when we look at songwriting, like this song is number one, the song rules all like that's that's our mentality. You know, like we don't we don't need to sit there and jam for 45 minutes and just rip like for us. It's just like we love that the having this perfect balance of the time that we that we're using and, and not writing like 12 minutes of just you know, whatever, like it's maybe one day we'll write a 12 minute song that will be the greatest thing ever, but <laughs> for us, for us yeah, yeah. but for us, it's just your like, own November yeah. rain someday. You'll... Yeah. I mean, like there, there are songs out there that, that are really, really phenomenal that are long, but um, you know, for us, it's just, uh, if it did, if we reach two and a half minutes and it's like, we're trying to push something more into that because it's only two and a half minutes. It's like, no, it's wrong. Yeah, so it's we like, definitely had those. Ones. like, uh, this song's it, only three yeah, minutes. Like, um, this is only, yeah. It's like, like well, it feels we, done. Yeah. It feels finished. So it's not, it's, it, but we, we look at the, the, um, songs that we love and most of them sit around like three, three minutes. Like it could be four minutes, could be two and a half or whatever it is. And, and that's kind of the way that we look at songwriting is like, it's usually within this pocket, but organically we're just writing that way. So from the devil's porch, we took everything that we learned badlands. We pushed ourselves in a lot of different ways to, to um, challenge ourselves. Um, because I think that if we didn't do that, then we don't belong, um, you know, touring internationally or <laughs> releasing something or, maybe not belong, but we don't, um, and we're not putting the the best version of us and we're not progressing and we're not growing. And I I don't think that, you know, if we're not progressing and we're not growing, then we're not true artists at at like trying to work at the craft of it. And then it's just become stale. So we never, we never want to do that. We always want to progress. We always want to grow. We always want to challenge ourselves. So with every single release that we do and every single song that we write, we're trying to do that. We, we, you know, like that's the, that's the goal. So the album, <laughs> yeah, the, uh, but the, al- the new album, the, the new one shockwave, which we're about to release uh, sometime this year is a reflection of all of that everything that we've learned from from the devil's porch and badlands and all that stuff we're bringing the next evolution of us forward in this new album which is why we want to play all the songs live yeah yeah Yeah, exactly so badlands kicks off with the song wild it's a great album opener you know very energetic Mm -hmm. more awesome guitar riffs so johnny i'm curious do you have like an app on your phone or a hard drive on your computer that they're just filled with these guitar riffs, you know, that you can just pluck out whenever you're writing a new song, or is it just, you know, Hey, we're going to, going to work on a new album and then stuff comes out. Um, I have a phone. Uh, I, it's funny. Like I just, like I switched phones recently and I noticed on my old phone, I had like over 6,000 or something recordings of just like noodling stuff. And uh, that was over a period of a couple of years. And uh, 
and yeah i mean like there's there's all that stuff i try not to go into all of those things because like it's it's sometimes it's a painful process of listening to all that stuff and like going through all those riffs and stuff and and uh but i think doing all that and recording all that stuff and having that stuff there is is important to have if you get writer's block and just remember kind of like it brings you back to where like you were at that moment and then i try to capture that and try to write something new how hard is it to actually go back and find a very specific riff you wrote oh. <laughs> like yeah. man i remember i wrote something like I don't know, a couple Usually, months ago and now you're yeah. like going through all the hundreds. It's, I think <laughs> no, nope, not that one. No, not that one. No, not that one. <laughs> I think when it's I think the the thousands of song recordings are just a reflection of thousands of failed attempts. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because when it's a good, when it's really, really good, I don't care what's going on in my life. That is the most important thing and leave me alone because I need to finish this. <laughs> but so, I don't know. Like it's it's a uh, that's the creative process. But yeah, there, I have tons of notes that I think more than the riff stuff that I go back to is the lyric stuff. So yeah. I'll make notes about certain lyric things and uh, or certain lyric ideas and uh, songwriting ideas. And I have tons of notes like on my phone or like wherever. And uh, I pull from that more often than the guitar stuff. Um, but we do, we have tons of recordings of us just jamming and, and um, different things like that. And yeah, do, do come back to that stuff. And like, yeah, it is an important part of the writing process. Yeah. I think do it's you, just, do you both write lyrics or is it, it Johnny that writes for, for Johnny? Johnny does the majority of the writing. Uh, I It wasn't until this album, this last album that we just recorded, that I actually contributed a little bit. But that's because we, there was the three of us in a room and all together working out the lyrics, right? And it was like, you know, maybe this word could be better or something like that. And that's when, that's when I would come in and we would all brainstorm together on what that word might be. Mm-hmm. I think that we, we, we tried something different. Like, so like I would have a lot of these lyrics and stuff and these ideas um, there, but uh, this, for this new album that we have, that we're going to release, um, it was uh, opening up to when we were working with Neil Sanderson, he, he, he's so talented and he has such a great perspective on uh on storytelling and songs and stuff and we really wanted to um let him be a part of our music that way so we opened ourselves up to like what do you think about this lyric and like so and then just instead of you know like get letting or letting egos get in the way we really listened to him and then at that same time renee just showed her a, a different side of her and being like I kind of have this lyric and they'd be like, I was Neil telling you I, good lyrics all along. <laughs> Neil, and I, <laughs> Neil and I just be like, whoa, just like kidding. that's huge. But I think she was just shy, you know, like, so this is, it was, it's, it's great. Now that's just, she's always been shy though. She never, she used to play drums to, uh, to the wall, to the wall, back to the door. <laughs> it's like, don't look at me. You have a lot more to offer. Like just, oh, thanks. But, uh, oh, thanks. That's so the the process changes, I guess, like when you start to 
open yourself up to um, the talents of everybody else. But I guess coming to learning the, something new too. Right? Yeah, and then come, but coming to the table is usually me with all this stuff and being like, "What do you guys think?" <laughs> <laughs> and then um, adding different perspectives and and kind of recognizing when it works and when it doesn't work. I and it's cool it's, when you make something better too, right? Or that's that it's that aha moment. Why didn't I think of that? Yeah, so that's perfect. That's exactly what this needed. Yeah. So I've I have two two kind of rapid fire questions about Badlands, and then we can move on to the new album. Is that all good? Yeah, sure. Sure. All right. So they're kind of kind of more technical on the instru- instrument side. So um, for living too fast. So that's one of my favorites. For the the hook in the chorus, the so the living too fast, the wee wee, is that is that keys? Is that a guitar? Is that back of vocals? What's making that little hook after the living too vocal. fast? That is vocal? Mouth. It's his mouth, yes. <laughs> Do that one more time. I was talking. <laughs> That's it. I thought maybe it's like a, a sliding guitar, maybe it's I think, vocals. I wasn't I think sure. That, I think that you did that. That too. might have been me too. I think we layered, I I, we layered multiple. Oh, it was me. It was me. me. (laughs) Renee, we're hearing all the contributions that people are taking for granted. They're coming out in this interview, all the stuff that you do with this band. I forgot. I forgot. I was part of that. Yeah. There was some background vocals for me on that record. Yeah. Well, it was such like building that record was there's, it's such a process of doing so many things. It's like, Going into it, we have, um, we don't want it to take 10 years. So when we get in there, we're just throwing so much at the wall and doing so many different things and changing different recordings and all that stuff. Sometimes we do lose track of like, what, how do we do that again? <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. We should have, we should, to be honest, we should have filmed more because I, you're bringing up all these things that I've just completely forgotten about. And there's probably no video history of anything, but that's what interviews are for. That's what this is for. We're bringing, yo, we're bringing back the, we're getting you in the feels. We're bringing back all these, the repressed memories and, and, you know, hopefully it's, it gets you excited to, to, to keep playing, get back out on the road. And, and I I guess the new album's done. I was going to say to, to keep you excited while you do the new album, but we'll talk about that in a second. My last question, this is for you, uh, Renee. So for the song red skies, I'm curious, is it, is your snare off until later on when it gets heavy? It sounds like a Tom a little bit. It is. Yeah. The snare's off until the first, uh, course hits. Okay. Which was funny live because that it's a split second to turn it back on. No, is it the first or is it the ending that we turn it? Oh yeah. Sorry. It goes all the way to the ending because it's quite the builder. Once it gets heavy. Yeah. Once that big. Suddenly you hear like a snare snare. Yeah. You nailed it. See, I actually, to not make a fool of myself, I reached out to a drummer and said, what is the technical term for when the snare sounds like a tom? And they said snare off. I was going to say something stupid, something else. So what, what was it? What was the what was <laughs> I going to say? Yeah. So he said it's he's he calls it snare the snare snare off when it's not tightened and it sounds like a tom. I don't know what I was going to say. It was going to be something really stupid. So anyways, <laughs> I'll let you know if I remember, but I definitely erased that from my notes. Um, 
So we have we have a comment sent in. This is from a Canadian super group. This is uh, Amir Epstein from Crash Karma. So that's a super group, you know, for our listeners that aren't familiar, composed of members of IME and Our Lady Peace and uh, some great bands. I think maybe the Tea Party, I got to double check for some of the members. But uh, Amir says, Johnny and Renee are two of the hardest working musicians in Canada, hands down. They've been hustling for almost 15 years. They're still busting their balls. I don't know if Renee's busting her balls, but uh, to make their dreams happen, most bands would have given up long ago. They have a deep passion for their music. They have each other to keep the dream alive. Their stamina and drive are unmatched. And for that alone, they have my utmost respect. So what I keep, what keeps coming across is that you're great people. You make awesome music, but also your work ethic. So where does that work ethic come from? Oh, I don't know. I just think, I just kind of well, you know what it was? a moment there from Amir's comment. Yeah, that's, that's just unreal. Yeah, that's very nice of him. Um, I think because early on in our career, up until the point where we got signed, and actually even a little bit beyond that, um, we did everything ourselves, right? So if you wanted something to happen, you had to do it yourself. So like at one point I was radio tracking, so which basically means I was the one delivering the song to radio and calling them every week and be like, have you heard the song yet? Have you heard the song? <laughs> but you develop a lot of relationships when you do that stuff. Right. So it's all part of networking and working hard because nothing comes easy. And I mean, if it did come easy, you should probably question that. <laughs> a yeah. little bit. Or if it did come easy, it's probably because your parents have a lot of money. Oh yeah. there might yeah. Have, yeah. And then there was that too. Yeah. Right? We didn't, we don't come from money. money. We don't come um, from that. We're not like so these. it is about working hard and yeah. making those things happen because you are your biggest fan, right? So I think it's really important and we still continue to, I mean, I more than ever, actually, I spend like five hours a day on band stuff and logistics. So even when we're not touring and that's pretty insane now. So, I mean, at some point it's going to have to give and I'm going to have to hire someone to do other things, even though, I mean, we have a full spectrum team now too. So, and it's still that busy, mm -hmm. but I, I love it. You know, I actually find it hard to let go of things. <laughs> yeah. I still like keep tabs on things. Like, even though we don't do radio anymore, but I'm still every day like, Hey, you know, how's it going? Have you heard from, you know, Brad Gibb at FM 96? Like, yeah. cause I had built those relationships and it's hard to step back from that. I don't think that we want to like I think that it's just it's not a, even a question of like giving up uh something or you know I don't know other bands just stop for a lot of different reasons but for us like we do what we love to do so um the, having the drive and everything else is is we just don't think about it like we just enjoy what we do so much that we just continue to do it and uh, we're, we're always being uh, in a position that we get to continue to do it to a certain degree. Like it's like, you know, it's um, the music industry has changed uh, so much from when we first got a record deal, like our, our label alone, I don't know how many times it's changed over four or five times. And like, they're always like, we want you guys to stay with us. We It's like this core team that is slowly they're, just they're merging, they're selling, they're buying. Yeah. And then it's like, a, a, we, we, every time it's like merging or selling or buying, it was just like, are we going to have a record label? Because we're seeing like all these other bands get dropped and it's just like, no, but they just, they want to bring us along and they still want to invest in our recordings and, and 
invest in us as artists and stuff. And so we're very lucky to have that. And I think that we keep, uh, we keep that in the forefront, you know, like we just, we know that we're fortunate to be able to do what we, what we love to do. And um, so we just continue to do it. And, uh, and it's kind I, of all we know, right? Like our life is music. We yeah, live I never, and breathe music. Yeah. So, I mean, even if the day ever came where we didn't have a label or an agent or manager, we would still be doing it. Like, even mm -hmm. if it was for ourselves and, you know, just to express ourselves through music, I think it'll always be there. Yeah. So. I think that uh, there's uh, the, the line gets, um, a little messed up when it comes to uh, business and what it's all about, you know, like it's, I think that a lot of bands fold and stuff because they need to pursue something else to make money to, to, to pursue a different living. And they have a different perspective on what they want. And it's like, they, 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 are they in it for the craft? Are they in it for um, the art of it and, and creating, or, or are they in it for, like is money and making as much money as possible more important to them then they're going to go into a different industry at the time because it's you know like i think that well life is different for different people too like people have families you know when you have a kid you have to start to reevaluate um what you need to do to you know mm -hmm. raise that kid right so we we don't have children so i mean we kind of do <laughs> but... where is he where is he where do you go but so we are, are what we need out of life to make money is a little different than what other people might need. Right. So. Mm -hmm. I know um, the only reason why I bring that up is just that the, you know, the industry isn't what it was a long time ago, but this is, those are the reasons we see a lot of bands stop is because they're not um, able to maintain or sustain a living. And we've been able to, because I, I, we're, we're lucky that um, we have, uh, we're able to go out and perform and do shows and like create albums and have the support that we do with fans and stuff. And we're always going to be forever grateful for that. And I think that if we're not grateful, that's probably when you're going to lose your drive to create. And uh, we always maintain that grateful and humble feeling to be able to do what we love to do. And I mean, we get to rock on stage. Yeah, we get to we get to be a fucking pretty rock sweet band. living. That's yeah. so hard. Yeah. yeah, you can't take it too seriously, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I think that we, we, you know, in the path that we're on, and we get to meet incredible people. And we're very, you know, we we're very social people. And the the amount of different people that we get to meet and the, the like coming from so many different places, we get to um, have that as being a bonus of, of uh, being a rock band is how many more creative people we get to enjoy the company of. And, and that's like, that alone is just such a huge bonus of being able to be a rock band and travel and stuff is meeting cre other creative people is so such an amazing uh, experience. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, and it, it brings out the fan of us again, you know, which is the root of where it all starts being a fan first. Well, speaking of fans, we have a fan question. So this comes in from Selge Menard. He says, one thing I remember 
was, and so he's seen you guys live and he says, one thing I remember was how they were very passionate about some charity work. I can't remember which one, but I assume they do lots or are advocates for some charities. Can you ask them to talk a little bit about their favorite charities? So that's from Selge Menard. Yeah. I mean, when we're given a platform, like an arena stage, it's a good opportunity to branch out and do some good in this world. Right. So um, I believe it began with world vision. Mm-hmm. I want to say that's where it's actually was Sea Shepherd before that. I don't mm-hmm. know. It's ongoing. <laughs> um, we were very involved with uh, world vision for a while there. Um, and we still are, we still have our sponsor child, but uh, his brother actually worked on the marketing side and um, connecting musicians and artists with the cause of raising money and sponsorships for children. Um, just, I, it's hard to really get into that because um, we got involved before ever seeing it firsthand. It wasn't until afterwards that we actually got to see it firsthand that kind of changed everything. Um, mm-hmm. It just, you have so much, we have so much privilege here and to actually um, be able to reach out a hand and do some good in other parts of the world where they have so little, um, but I actually have so much in terms of love and community. And it's just, it's all for the better of humanity, right? Um, so following World Vision or maybe even pre-World Vision, we also work with Sea Shepherd, which is near and dear to my heart because I love the ocean and ocean life. And, uh, you know, I burned through a few copies of Free Willy growing up. <laughs> I love whales. So that's, probably- the, that's the charity that I, love- you, I, I believe you feature on your website right? See, uh, so actually, uh, yes, Sea Shepherd is ongoing with us. Uh, we did a campaign with pre-saves for Spotify, where we redirected marketing dollars to Sea Shepherd, which was really cool and amazing of our label to do that and want to be a part of that. Um, uh, for our official online store, it's Sick Kids uh, in Toronto, which came to us because uh, we had a friend whose child was in Sick Kids for a while. And uh, that really brought about something uh, very close to us, right? Where um, we don't have children, but you know, when you have to live through that experience of someone close to you, and what that that um, organization does for them and their lives, I think that really had a big impact on us, and we wanted to also give to that charity. So we we do um, move things around a little bit. I wish we could give to all of them all the time, and I guess there will be a point in our lives where we can, but. Um, we just kind of pick our moments for certain ones and um, try to share the love and the wealth amongst all of them. So I'm sure as we you know, start to grow and evolve, we'll be introduced to other charities and more organizations and you know, continue. Mm-hmm. It's something we're always gonna continue to do. You know, This humanitarian stuff is so important. I, I think it comes from just us growing up to seeing other bands do it. And I think that we, you know, when you're a fan of another band and you, it's like, oh, wow, like, look at, like, what, look at what Pearl Jam's doing. Like, it's, or look at what Incubus or like. Tea Party is a tea, big like, example. So we just, we see yeah. that stuff and like those, you know, looking at those bands and those people and always kind of having such a respect for them as artists and stuff and seeing that they're doing those sort of things um, really got us interested in doing it ourselves because it's like, wow, you ever get the opportunity. It's like, it's such a 
cool thing to be able to give back. And uh, so I think that that um, that's kind of where why we wanted to do it too. It's like, and we hope that other bands, if they see what we're doing, that they will do it too. Because I think that that's a, a really um, show of character that you're you're not a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> you're really dropping that a lot here. Yeah, just, yeah. We really need to emphasize: <laughs> stop being a piece of yeah. shit. Yeah, that's the one message we're trying to get across. Yeah. Is yeah. Don't be yeah. a piece of shit. Don't like, be an I, asshole. I, I commend you guys on on your work with charity and raising awareness and and all that stuff. That's that's good to hear. Um, the new album is done it's called shockwave it'll be out at mm. some point in 2022 the new single is out uh pretty little broken thing the new music video just dropped so what can fans expect from this new album more of that more of yeah. that single type yeah like yeah. we definitely we went all out to the next level with this record and we had a, you know this pandemic uh brought about a pretty crazy opportunity for us, right? Like we, mm -hmm. we had been able to work with Neil Sanderson on our last record, but only with uh, Wild, right? We, he co-wrote with Neil on that song. So it was taking mm -hmm. the best of that and bringing it to this new record. And it was just such a crazy opportunity because otherwise he would have been on the road, right? Three Days Grace is touring every mm -hmm. day of the year. So this was an opportunity for us to be able to work together and um, be a part of his team too, because his, he has so many contacts, like for mixing, mastering, musicians, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it was a very cool experience. So you, you're going to see a different side of us, but it is still the roots of us having, you know, gotten together and just hit record in a jam space. And we wrote that riff to that beat. And then actually this time more of the songwriting came out of us, right? We really, really honed in on the, the craftsmanship of songwriting. Mm -hmm. So, and it's about, you know, it's about us like, and our, our journey through everything and how we've grown and, you know, the ups and downs and just everything was meant to be in this moment. So I just, I really hope, People love this record as much as we do. I, it was such an awesome time putting it together. Like the, probably the most fun, not to say that anything past wasn't fun, but we literally spent a year working on this record with Neil, which that's an insane amount of time. I, it wasn't every day, but it was like- Every other day. It was every other day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was, the the songs on this album are just, I, I you know, like, we. Renee makes up a good point, like I was saying, like we hope that people like it and and or feel what we put together as much as we do. But I to be honest, like I'm not the songs are just are bigger. The songs are better. The the recording process is is, is more fine-tuned. Like everything about it is on a, a higher level. Um, because, and I say higher level, just meaning that we were able to put more time into it and really get into the details a lot more, but also keeping the same mentality of that launched this whole thing, which was Orleans, which is just don't force it. You know, like sometimes simple is the best thing and simplicity. We don't have to overcomplicate it. So it's like gauging what is right for the song and what is 
what keeps you pumped up and for us and like what where um when it's too much and like pull back on some stuff and like keep things simple or sometimes like let's really overcomplicate this part <laughs> so it's because like, we can and it's fun yeah exactly everything we did was just out of fun like, and we we really wanted to look at like this is let's try to write a three-minute song and and uh or not try to write let, let's make this or this feels like a three-minute song like how do we fill the rest of this out a certain way within this certain timeline and that's kind of the canvas, you know, like as an artist, it's like, this is, this is, this canvas looks this way. And like, how do we fill the canvas out of certain to, to make it the best picture that it can be the best song it can be. And, uh, and we always push ourselves in that process. And we're we definitely with, did musically. Yeah. And Neil or Neil, what was great about him is that, um, he's ready to, to, to grind and push us even further. And we're always up for the challenge. So um, it was a really great working process with him and That's a really so great true. aspect. Cause a lot of people or not a lot of yeah. people like other artists and different bands, they don't like to hear that shit. Like they don't want to be, when they start to get pushed there, they just like, revert back into their own the, themselves and just like fuck this person we like they don't know what they're the you know what I mean? yeah but it's like we we handle that very easily you know we don't we do, like we can we can be pushed and we can be like for neil to all to always like push it to the level uh, like wanting more to try harder do this do that and stuff like we could we take that stuff to, and uh we we managed it very easily to be able to come up with something great. And, uh, and sometimes it's like always it, you're gauging whether it's the right move or the wrong move. And, and the working relationship with Neil, we would push, push, push. And then sometimes it'd be like, guys, ah, you know what? It's not the right move. Let's try to pull it back a bit. And, you know, like maybe this, the, the original lyric here was the best one. And, uh, and then sometimes it is, and sometimes it isn't. So it's like, it's, uh, it's, it sounds like a painful process, but we have a lot of fun going through that process. And uh, so on this new album, it's just a lot. We spent a lot more time in the creative zone, uh, uh, which yield, uh, which got us to yield a lot of great material in the past. And uh, so this album, I think is like our Mona Lisa. <laughs> like it's like legit the best thing that we've done and the best songs. And it exposes more of us and our relationship and our, our journey through being a rock band and, and being a couple as well, going through this whole thing. And uh, that's what we wanted to bring forward the most. It's like, um, we have the time to really put that album together that reflects us the most. And we wanted to use that time to be like, this is now it's time. It's time to put our Mona Lisa together, our best work, our album that tells our story the most. And that's what this new album is. And we're so excited to, to release it to the world. 
And yeah. uh, we've had it in our pockets for a little bit now, but to the yeah. point, like I'm still listening to it by myself. And I, I used to like shame myself about that in the past. <laughs> like really you're listening to your own music, but like, I really enjoy listening to it. I, I love this record. And yeah. I think that's saying something too, right? Like it's just, well, I mean, we would, we would listen to our, obviously our other albums, but this one is just, there's something so addictive about it that is just different than the last recordings. And it's hard to ex explain what that feeling is because the last recordings, we love them so much too, but this one is just, we just put so much soul and heart into it and uh, so much work. And it's such a team effort too, with like the engineers that we, that we worked with and with Neil and um, in the mixing process, like it was, it was on a different level working with a whole new team that we've never worked with before. And they're, um, it's, we're very, I guess listening to it all the time is just because we're proud of it. We're so extremely proud that we did it. And you should <laughs> you know, be. We set out to be. I think in defense, like they say, you know, no one's going to love you if you don't love yourself on, um, I would say, you know, who's going to listen to your music if you don't love your music. Right. Uh, that's how exactly. I think about it. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I, I think that, you know, like um, the fact that we're having this interview and we have the album done and all that stuff is just a reflection that we accomplished our goals. And uh, and that's an amazing feeling. Now we're set and more. Yeah. And we're set. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Single. We finished it. We finished. And now it's like, what's next? Yeah. <laughs> that's why you have to enjoy the journey, because when you accomplish 100%. something, if there's if it's not about the journey of having gotten there, then there's, you know, that sadness that kicks in because it's oh, done. Yeah. And, and I don't you know, I'm still the same person. You, you always yeah. have to have that next goal, uh, you know, to, to strive towards. Um, so yeah. I have to say that the sound quality of Pretty Little Broken Thing, like it sounds as good as anything I've, I've ever heard. Like, I don't I don't know. I don't know how something could sound better than that. Like, it's perfectly recorded, perfectly mixed, all that stuff like that. That's what a epic rock song, like a rock single. That's what it should sound like. I'm curious is that the Howard Benson touch? Like someone that's one of the best mixing engineers in the world that's worked with every big rock band on the planet. Yeah, I think it's a, I funny. think it's a combination of a lot of things. Well, it's him and Joe, but. And the engineering. Yeah. And even the instruments, the amps, the drum kit, like performances as well. Yeah. You guys are getting better. Yeah. I yeah. mean, the goal ultimately, uh, like sonically was that this, this album has to match what is happening in active rock radio too. Like it's got to stand up to it sonically as far as the actual, what you're hearing at the, the, the end product. Pushing through the speakers of the headphones. Yeah, that's kind of hard to explain to someone <laughs> yeah. who, who doesn't know the background of that stuff. But so, I mean, you go to the best, right? So we had that connection with Howard Benson through Neil Sanderson and, you know, they're partners in Judge and Jury Records. And mm -hmm. I'm so glad that happened because like, I can't even tell you, like, usually we're pretty fussy and we have a lot of revisions and stuff, but with this mix, it was just like, oh my God, there it is. This is awesome. And mm -hmm. you would listen to it next to, you know, something else on rock radio that you absolutely love. You're like, oh, it stands up against it. Like, this is so cool, but it's mm -hmm. ours, right? Like, so 
I think as a band, there's like really cool moment. It's like when you first hear yourself on vinyl, right? It's like that really cool moment where you're like, ah, oh, this is what I wanted. This is where we wanted to be. It's a reflection of how far we've come. Yeah. I think it's that, you know, when it's, when something sounds a certain way, it's just that it sounds that way because of all the hard work over the years and like recognizing what it takes to make it sound that way and recognizing what it takes to write a song a certain way and have a have the music um, feel a certain way. It's like years of hard work, years of, of being a band and, and recognizing how to piece that together and learning and it's like you learn from all these different things and like and you take the best aspects of that you keep building on the best aspects to get to a certain level but sometimes that's a reflection of it sometimes it's all about chance and having the stars align right it was just Mm -hmm. in the cosmos that these people (laughs) neil deGrasse tyson if you watch cosmos neil deGrasse (laughs) tyson (laughs) yeah Yeah, it's it, it comes down to that just being fortunate to be able to work with the people that we work with to help the process but also that are just as excited about it as us and i think that oh oh, the cats just no animals were harmed in the making of this podcast (laughs) i i he hasn't come around yet um but uh yeah anyways but it, it is a reflection of how how we've um how far we've come in the process, I think. And, and, uh, and um, Neil helped that process, but we, it was also us like, you know, knowing what's good for us and what's not good for us and knowing like, you know, we always try to put egos aside and always try to focus. Song is number one and we want it to sound the best it can sound and uh, being able to, um, navigate where, how to do that, I think is one of our best, uh, uh, best parts about us is we always, we're able to navigate a certain way and recognize what the best thing for us is and knowing like, um, how we can achieve it if we just put ourselves out there to try to do it, (laughs) you know, and working with Neil, that was it. It was just like, you know, we could go, we could go into the studio. We know all these great producers. We know all these like great mixers and all this different stuff. And it's like, we have a budget to be able to do that. And it's like, what do we want to do? And it's like, you know what, working with Neil, it was like, we work really, really well together. And there's a really great connection. We know that he hasn't produced a full album yet, but the demo stuff that we do sometimes is just so incredible. And it's like, why don't we just see if he's up for it? Why don't we just see if we we can do an album together? So we put it out there and we're like, would, what do you think about like entertaining the idea of just producing an album with us? Because what we're doing demo wise sounds incredible. And, you know, we could go to a different producer as somebody we don't know and, and we know what they can do. But uh, um, we actually this, did. What do you mean? We originally had someone else doing the record, but he wasn't available. Well, that that's was why we ended up. Well, when like, we when we I mean, talked like, to when we just happened when because... we, we originally we were looking at doing something with uh, a different producer. Yes, that's true. 
uh, but it didn't, uh, the stars didn't align that way. We got pushed in a different direction. And when we were in that facing um, a different way, that's when we decided to entertain the idea of po the possibility of Neil taking on the challenge of producing at the same time. But I mean, in the, the process that we were going to originally do and working, we probably would have come up with something completely oh, different. Been, it's just it wouldn't it be works, the same right? album. Totally. No. And we don't know what that That's album like, would sound like. Isn't that just life though? I don't yeah. know if it would sound as good as this one, but it would have been a hip hop album. We don't know yeah. why. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know why. <laughs> Renee would have been singing, playing it was actually It was actually Timbaland that you were trying to work with. Yeah. Yeah. He just wasn't available. Yeah. Yeah. So the but stars. I mean, like, Looking in the past, looking at the past and like all the, the different directions that we could have gone. I mean, we could dig down to the very first album and what we did. <laughs> like it's just we just kind of go with the flow and ride the wave as it as as it's happening and be like, this is a good idea at the time. This is the best idea at the time. This is the best like trying to just know what is best for us and the opportunities that we have. Yeah. So the, the stars aligned with one more person, which is the final comment that I have to share with you. So Chuck Daly from My Mother Earth, originally from The Salads, uh, he plays bass on this album and he's actually joining you guys for the tour that's coming up as well. So he sent me like a novel worth of comment <laughs> and I did not edit it. So this okay. is, we're going to wrap up the podcast right after this. And uh, so you know, hang tight. Here it goes. You ready? All you right. guys ready for yeah. some words? Okay. Wait, here we go. Was this over text or email? This uh, is by text. Uh, oh, this is by Facebook messenger actually. Oh, okay. If we're being technical. So Chuck says, I adore these two. We've known each other for years. We've toured back and forth across Canada together. I've not only spent hours standing, sing along, singing alongside stage. I've also thrown limes at them limes at them from side stage mid pandemic. I got a call about playing on their newest release after hearing some music and a call with Neil. I was in, they saved my soul. I've produced and been on a lot of records. There's always a lot of cooks in the kitchen that have ideas for bass players. This was pure freedom. I played some basic shit. And then Johnny and Renee said, play more, go for it. In the studio, Neil had some thoughts until I started tracking. And then he said the same thing, just be you do your thing. And oh man, did I ever, it was so damn fun to have the opportunity to decorate these songs while being produced by this team. And the results were so incredibly over the top outstanding. I prayed they might ask me to play with them live one day. We've been jamming at the mothership, AKA my house. Tours coming up. And the other awesome thing is we're all vegan. With IME, there's always an avocado for me. Here, Renee cooks. Johnny says he's a chef. Good eating. Great rock and roll. La Buena Vida. Love me some standstills. Chuck Daly. That's hilarious. They only give him an avocado. I got to yeah. talk to Chris. About I, told, I, I told him, hey, avocados. I said avocados are expensive. So if they're bringing you avocados, that you're kind of a big deal vegetarian vegetarian i got we got we got to eat real cheese i don't know <laughs> it's hard it's hard yeah it's hard to give up the cheese that's, the cheese that's, portion. Uh, that's unbelievable chuck. yeah chuck chuck was a game changer on this record and it was a situation where it's like i think it's it can be intimidating to go to a studio and 
put something over top of someone else's music, right? So, but we, none of us were bass players, right? So we were looking for a bass player. Whereas in previous records, it was all about, can you just play to the guitar? Like uh, we wanted yeah, the we guitar, had, the bass to be one, whereas- I would just throw root notes down or James would throw root yeah. notes down just to have it as a layer for the mixer. But yeah, it's this time around, it was, it was, we, um, we wanted to entertain um, the progression of us in a way that nobody has heard us before. Mm -hmm. So it like, it, we like the idea of like, a lot of these songs are baritones, so which it is like a bass guitar, but how cool would it be? And how cool would it sound if we just had this like, like other bass line that was just there telling a different story in the song. And we haven't done that before. And like, there's, there's certain songs in rock and roll that where it's just like the bass player is putting on a clinic the whole time. Like if you just listen to the bass alone. Kings of Leon like, is a great example. Well, that. I mean, like, yeah, like, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of acts out there that like in the song that the bass player is just doing this sort of other other element that's not just throwing down the root notes or playing what the guitar is playing or like a little bit of candy here and there it's just like the bass player is doing some john like john uh led zeppelin like he, yeah rush he, you know, the chili peppers they all have yeah it's yeah and it's, it's like, like their signature right but we've we've you know we've worked with people in the past and and uh or that were great musicians and stuff it just never glued properly with what we were doing and um and this time around i think that like we i don't think we would have brought chuck in like we under we entertained a couple different people aside from chuck too but when when we got stuff back from chuck it was like holy shit like listen to this like this is something like he's he's being himself but he's doing things he he was putting his own story into the song. And uh, so all we needed to do was just say, do more of that. <laughs> like, you know, like we just need you, like we're not asking you to do anything other than just be yourself and do what you can do. But we never had the, that, the story of our songs being told from his perspective or from a perspective of a different musician that way in the bass. And then we just love the way how how much heavier it got like because i'm on the baritone um for majority of the stuff it's just it's sitting in the bass frequencies but just a little bit above a bass so when you bring the bass in now it's just banging in the low end it's just so much bigger so much heavier and uh so he added this um incredible um story to it but also just the depth of the low end in such a cool way we're just like we got to do this <laughs> like, and then when we asked them they're like dude you gotta you want to like tour with us or like you <laughs> yeah, know like, the chemistry yeah. was there right and he was like better to hire than yeah the guy who did it right? he's, he was he's like, so he was dying like, to get out and tour you have no idea yeah, yeah. he's like a, he's like a brother too like we've spent time with him on the road when he was playing with i'm other earth and and uh, you know, even like when this 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 process happened, like Renee was talking with Christian and stuff too, and just like we got like we were doing this stuff with Chuck, and like you know we were 
we were talking about like touring with them and stuff. And Christian was like giving us his blessing and like, just like, yeah, it's like, go for it guys. Fucking like, he's like a brother to us too. So we just, it's a very, it just felt very natural, very cool, very kind of like we're excited about bringing, showing people us as a, as a trio, um, because it, this is the evolution of it. It's just so organic. And so, um, it feels very natural and very like, this is where we are supposed to be. And this is the music we're supposed to be writing with this individual as part of it. Yeah. Just feels right. Yeah. It's amazing. He's, uh, and, uh, he's a great, like, he's really easy to hang out with. <laughs> so it's like, that, he's, he's, that a, helps he's a funny dude. Because we're going yeah. to spend a lot of time together, you know? <laughs> yeah. I got, I got tickets to the, uh, the Ottawa date for his IME show where it's the mm. both singers. So that'll yeah. be, that'll be pretty yeah. awesome. So yeah. to, to be respectful of your time, I have one final question. Can you handle one final question? Yeah, sure. Awesome. So if, if we could go back in time and you guys could sit down with your 10 year old selves, you have cute, cute little Renee, cute little Johnny, what advice do you pass on to your 10 year old selves? Hmm. Hang on to your Reebok pumps. <laughs> <laughs> that shit's worth that might money be, these that days. That might, might be the best in, in your Pokemon cards. Yeah. Yeah. That shit is worth money. Don't sell your Beanie Babies. <laughs> yeah. Inve invest in Tesla. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's it, right? That's Hey, that, that might be the best advice that any guest has given to their, their younger self. Cool. Awesome. Well, hey, guys, look, I, I've had a, a blast sitting down with you guys. It was awesome to connect. Um, you guys gave some, you know, some authentic answers, which I'm sure our listeners appreciate. Uh, I'm loving the new single. I can't wait for the new album. Um, where Where can people connect with you online? So if they want to listen to the music, where to find it, the website, uh, Instagram, if they maybe want to reach out and say, Hey, I loved you guys on the podcast. Uh, where do they go? Where do they find you? I think, I think our website is the, the, the best just, place. Cause it has yeah. everything. Or just like, Google the standstills. The website yeah. will be the first thing to pop up and then all our social media. And, uh, we fully run our social media at the moment. So it's me. So <laughs> any messages or comments and likes and stuff I'm seeing directly. So that's probably the easiest way yeah. to reach out to us. And we try to stay connected as much as possible um, with the time that we have now. Like when, whenever we're not on the road, when we get onto the road, it's, it's a little more difficult to keep up with all that stuff yeah. and uh, or in the studio and whatnot. But yeah, social media and the website has links to everything, that, which is the standstills.com. Yeah, music, yeah. <laughs> videos, it's all. We're on the interweb. Inter, the, the interweb. The interweb. The webinet. We're on the webinet. There you go. <laughs> well, Renee, Johnny, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having us. This was thank awesome. You. Really You're good very, question. Really good questions. You're very welcome. So to our fans, to our listeners, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next episode. 
I hope you've enjoyed today's episode, and I'd love to hear from you guys. My goal is to grow this podcast organically, where you're giving me feedback on topics you'd like me to cover and guests you'd like me to interview. You can reach out to me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Joelle Martin Mastery. Joelle is J-O-E-L, and on Twitter at Joelle Mastery. So I am done. I am complete. I approve this message, and I'll see you on the next episode.